3: Live from CBS Radio Studios in New York City, it's the DA Show with your host, Damon Amendolara, featuring Pat Boyle. And the musical sounds of the Zap Zap Orchestra. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's DA. All right, and a happy Monday to you, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you being with us. On this Monday morning, coming up in 20 minutes, we are stunned to a news. And in 40 minutes, are the Jets really going to stick with Zach Wilson? Yikes. Yesterday across the NFL, some blowouts, some non-competitive games, not nearly the juice of the matchups we had on Saturday. And namely, Saturday night, Notre Dame. Once again, falling to an elite college football program as Ohio State, in a big spot, comes back on the final possession to win in dramatic fashion in South Bend. Joining us this morning here on the show, college football insider and senior writer for CBS Sports, our friend Dennis Dodd. Dennis, good morning. DA, how are you? What a weekend, huh? It was. It was a great weekend top to bottom from a college football standpoint. But Saturday night, how can Marcus Freeman rationalize 10 men on the field the final two
2: plays? Well, you can't, and especially when you – I saw the platform above where Notre Dame had overloaded the right side of Ohio State's line. Well, it was probably overloaded because there was was a guy missing, and they ran the running back for the winning touchdown – Right over the the center's left shoulder, there was basically not enough people there. He barely made it in. But but do you think another guy would have maybe made a difference? Absolutely. Um, That being said, I don't know if we could take an absolute from this game. Look, Sam Hartman had gone legend, leading that 96-yard drive. They score eight and a half minutes left. And it looked like they had Ohio State stop. There was an intentional grounding on that last drive. I still need to see more from Kyle McCord, but when you're Notre Dame and you're the most recognized brand on the planet, this is going to stick for a while.
3: For Freeman, I think that the Notre Dame fan base was going to give him a bit of a a pass on year number one, but that's a massive, massive blunder in year number two in a big spot. Is the honeymoon over for Freeman after that decision or lack thereof?
2: It was... To me, it was judging by the reaction over last year at at zero and two. Now they went nine and two to finish nine and four, but if you remember the reaction from that rookie coach, did he know what he's doing? We lose, you know, by double digits at Ohio State. Um, so no, this is this is going to be more of the same. This is what you signed up for. Again, still young in the uh, in the term. I think he's a bright young coach. I think he got. I don't think, I know, he got a lot of run on NBC and elsewhere Saturday before the game, before the game, hyping the game, which was good. Um, And I still think he's a good coach. I think they can recover from this, but Notre Dame being Notre Dame, they virtually have to win all their games to be in the playoff. I don't know if anybody thought they would this season, but it it bears saying um, that they're probably out of it right now.
3: Dennis Dodd joins us from CBS Sports. On the flip side... I understand Ryan Day is going to use any motivation that he can. That's what every good coach does, (laughs) and whatever works, works. But the interview after the game about how angry Lou Holtz's prediction or comments made him, I thought seemed a little foolish, and I wondered if it was an indicator that Ryan Day is really feeling a lot of pressure from a lot of different places, and that when he erupted after the game about Lou Holtz, it was – a little window into that pressure cooker. What would you think about his comments?
2: Yeah, in, and I wrote about it in a moment. Um, I guess my takeaway is what you just said, that it said more about what's going on in Brian Day's mind than Lou Holtz. You know, Lou Holtz is kind of this 86-year-old TV yapper who doesn't can't turn down a microphone. Um, you know, he's a Notre he's Dame there-
3: legend. Of course he's going to pick Notre Dame.
2: Right, right, and you know they're more physical. So you know, leave it alone. Who cares? Uh, but obviously, that had touched a nerve deep in his Brian Day psyche, where he went off not only on NBC, uh, in the radio flagship after the game, and then of course the, the reporters had heard it, the media in the, in the, in his post game, and, and went deep on it. So does does the Michigan thing bother him? Absolutely. Does the Georgia thing bother him? Absolutely, he's the. By the way, the, the winningest coach in ball, forty nine and six, eight ninety one winning percentage. But in his mind, I would think, how is he being defined right now at home? It's two boat race losses, boat race losses to Michigan, in which they got outscored fifty six to seventeen in the second half. He said on on um, on NBC, he said, "Well, it's been one bad half. Well, it's been two bad halves and two losses to Michigan, which are." You know, intolerable at Ohio State. I, you know, is it, is it crazy? Yes, absolutely. But they have lost the game. Jim Harbaugh's got the upper hand. And looks like he might have it for a third straight year. So that bothers him. I did a story in the, in August in the preseason on that. And the players talked about how they're reminded of it every day. One of their defensive linemen said, those legends speak to us from the wall as we go down the hall in the facility every day about Michigan. So you better believe it.
3: Hmm. It's a really good piece. Check it out at cbsports.com as Dennis Dodd kind of dissected the Lou Holtz quote disrespect and how Ryan Day really got emotional about it. Earlier in the day, Clemson and Florida State, and I think Dabo's got a lot of questions to answer. He was upset by the way his defensive coordinator was calling plays at the end of the first half. He talked about that at halftime. Play calling down the stretch certainly was uh, questionable game management where they set up for a field goal instead of going for it when they had a field goal kicker that was going out of football and a job lined up already how would you assess Dabo after the way Clemson lost
2: well that's by a thousand paper cuts and not just Saturday going back to Duke going back to last year I think we all agree there's been slippage there and for me um, it all came at least symbolically When Cade Klubnik got driven and fumbled the ball, and and Deloach from Florida State picked it up and and ran for a touchdown, I think to tie the game at 24. That was eight years of you no longer, you know, rule the ACC. This is us taking over. I mean, he didn't. He didn't just hit him; he went through him. If you look at the film, it's it's an unbelievable hit, legal. Yep. Yep. Um, And that set the stage for Florida State. They hadn't led all day until. Keon Coleman made that great catch in the end zone in overtime for the win, and even that was symbolic. Keon Coleman, there's no one on the roster at Clemson who approaches Keon Coleman, the transfer you mentioned from Michigan State. And so what's happened there? That was the difference, arguably, in the game in that moment. Um, I, I don't know what they were doing. I think it was second and one, third and one. They're throwing a, a bubble screen that uh, in overtime that Dabo said shouldn't have been called, but that's on you. Why was that even in the playbook? At that You're Clemson. You're at home. Run the ball. Get a first down. Move on. Then, obviously, they blissed on fourth down, and, uh, and he, Kate Clemson overthrew the receiver. And I said before the game that, well, this might just be a preview of, you know, the ACC championship game. Well, Clemson at 0-2. It's, it's going to be pretty tough now. Uh, and Florida State not only is back, but they're, they're the number one seed for, until further notice in the ACC.
3: Sure are, and they showed a lot of guts and resiliency because on that strip, sack, and fumble, it looked like Clemson was going in for a touchdown. They had a lot of momentum. That would have made it a 14-point game Mm -hmm. going into the fourth quarter, and I don't think Florida State would have come back from that, and instead they flipped it, and they won the game in OT, and that was pretty damn impressive. We also had the Colorado game against Oregon, and Dan Lanning before the game saying, they're playing for clicks, we're playing for wins. Clearly he knew he could get a a little zinger out there. He wanted the camera crew in the in the locker room. Was this smart by Lanning to to say something like this since clearly, you know, his team played that much better or is this the type of thing that can come back to haunt him?
4: Well,
2: a couple a couple things there. Clearly Dan Lanning allowed ABC into the room to film that. He he wanted that to be known. Um that wasn't like a camera on the wall or something. It was he he was he was on stage, uh, not Dion, and the comment about Cla- I thought it was cool the way he said it to get him fired up. And a lot of things have been said worse than that behind closed doors before games, but you know, good for him. The other is the irony of the Oregon coach saying that, and I'm not singling out, <laughs> yeah,
3: really?
2: you know, I'm not singling out Dan Lanning because he's he's just the latest coach, but we're we're talking about a school that at one time had 315 uniform combination, <laughs> yeah. has a mascot right out on a motorcycle. I don't know what the connection is between the two, but it's not, apparently there is one. And it's supported by, you know, one of the, one of the largest athletic firms, you know, in Nike in the country and, and all that is meant to them. Uh, their, their facility is called the Death Star. So its, it's attention It's just in a different way. And I don't know if Dan Lanning represents the majority of coaches. Clearly, that was a motivational tactic before that game. But, look, Oregon was the better team going in, was the better team going out. I don't know if it took away from the discussion, but the Pac-12, ironically, in its final season is damn good. Yeah, uh, eight, yeah, whatever yeah. it is, eight-ranked teams, first to have four in the top ten. And, and I, I wish people would concentrate on that because that's really, really cool.
3: Yeah, it sure is. Dennis Dodd joins us from CBS Sports. As for next for Colorado, do you feel like the first three weeks were a little bit of a mirage and that this is what's going to happen now as they get into the thick of the Pac-12 race and play better teams like Oregon, like USC, etc.? Or is this just an Oregon team that's that much better maybe than everybody else in the conference?
2: Yeah, no, I, I still think Oregon has to deal with Utah, Washington, and USC. We'll see how that shakes out. Oregon looks really, really good. But but yes on on Colorado the point being I had them and many had them before the season well maybe if they beat Colorado State they'll be one and five in their first six now I just saw a promo last night for Colorado USC the game of the year <laughs> obviously it's it's network hype but who who would who would have even thought that before the season. Um, and being at home, I suspect they'll be competitive. I'm not sold on USC. I watched the Arizona State game last night. They still have defensive uh, liabilities. Alex French, the defensive coordinator, still has to get that better. But USC, DA, 535 yards, 42 points, 8 sacks, 14 tackles for losses, and I think halfway through the fourth quarter they were up by 7, clinging to the lead. At, at Arizona State. So, does Colorado have a chance? Absolutely. Game of the year, I don't know, but yes.
3: Big Noon kickoff should just be stationed in Boulder and right. then it's either a home game for Colorado or just travel wherever the Buffs are traveling. They're back. They're going to follow the Buffs again this week. So it's yeah. like college game days only going to be Buffs games from here on out. But they're good for business. No, Check I
2: it. I look, I think it's good. I it, uh I didn't know At the base level, I didn't know if Eon could coach at this level. I did a story last year when his name was starting to bubble up, and I talked to the Arkansas uh, AD who interviewed him before he hired, I think, Sam Pittman, and he raved about him. So much that he went down there a second time, interviewed him again. Now we know it looks like that Jerry Jones was involved. He couldn't hire him. He couldn't hire, you know, at that point at Arkansas, and I'm not – anything about Dion Arkansas couldn't hire him at that time but the tone of the story was he absolutely can coach and now we're seeing it so you know it's great for the sport it's great for Colorado I I don't really care how he does it it's it's something to write about it's fun
3: I'm going to be a little selfish here and and ask you one more question so I'm going to gobble up some more of your time I've, I've long wondered what was it about Colorado that Dion was attracted to, because I would imagine he had other power five opportunities this past off season. What was it that CU did or was that Dion said, I'll do it there.
2: I don't know if he had a lot of power five opportunities. Again, Auburn wasn't going to hire him uh, for whatever reason. Florida state job wasn't open um, and i don 't know at that point in Florida State history if they would have hired him, uh, and mike is well established there now, so it was a p five job it it was a blank canvas. This is what I want to do at the time. Colorado had these restrictions administratively on transfers, and that those very quietly got changed where they were able, able to bring in more transfers and we know what he 's done with that and look it had it had a history a uh, At that point, in my opinion, Colorado was the worst Power 5 program out there. Um, And maybe it wasn't even close, but he saw an opportunity. And look, it's it's Dion. If if the whole thing goes to, you know what, and it doesn't work out, well, there's Aflac commercials. He can still coach at Jackson State. He can just go through another another Power 5. Now, you know, and whenever – he can name his school. He's proved he can coach. That staff is amazing. Sean Lewis, Charles Kelly, um, they're doing a, the two coordinators are doing a fantastic job. So, if that's a read, now there's another discussion on. <laughs> uh, Rick George said at the time, we don't have the money to pay him, but we're gonna we're gonna find it. That's another discussion. But uh, I think there were some possibilities at CU.
3: That's interesting. Dennis Dodd joins us, College Football Insider for CBS Sports. Check out his latest piece on Ohio State upending Notre Dame on that final play at CBSSports.com. And Ryan Day's internal frustration with the questions about his program. Really good stuff there, CBSSports.com. Dennis, thanks so much, buddy. I appreciate it. All right, DA, thanks. See ya. Let me just give you a couple of my nuggets and notes on Colorado when we come back. We've got Stunned to a news as well, but I'm going to take a break here and give you what – I saw watching the Colorado-Oregon game from both sides, both the Ducks and the Buffs coming up here next, and whether this is kind of exposing Dion and exposing CU for being who they really are. That's straight ahead, DA, CBS Sports Radio. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
5: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: Good value, big upside.
2: I look at the clips of you guys and I could listen to you guys talk.
4: For
3: hours. No, you smell fun. That's all, folks. D-A, that is. You're right. It's D-A on CBS Sports Radio. No, we're not all right. Welcome back to the D-A show on this fine Monday morning. Everybody, hopefully you're enjoying the start of your work week or well. We appreciate you being with us. You can always listen to us on CBS Sports' app or the Odyssey app. Both are free. So thoughts on the Ducks and Buffs. From Saturday, I was fully impressed by the duck's dazzling offensive display. Bo Nix was tremendous. I mean Bo has taken his fair share of criticism over the course of his long college football career. been a lot of people that have been frustrated by his turnovers or decision making smalling small efforts in big games, and yet here he was just slinging it and there are billboards across America here in New York City. they got a bodacious billboard it's kind of everywhere. And so I give a lot of credit to Bo and to the Oregon offense and to Dan Lanning because Lanning had a moment, and as I talked about with Jay Norvell, I have no problem with the opposing coaches bump-drafting off of the Dion hype. And clearly, Lanning knew what he was doing. He invited the camera crew from ESPN-ABC into the locker room knowing that it was going to be broadcast before the game and then definitely was going to take a shot at Dion in some way because that's what's going to get the notoriety and attention. Lanning could go in there and just say, we're ready for this and we're proud of you guys and go play your butts off. But what does that do? If you say they're in it for clicks, we're in it for wins, suddenly you've made Dion a story. And again, you bump draft off of that attention. And if you win, you really get to to revel in it because now – you're the coach that called out Dion and the Colorado Buffaloes, and you were the coach that beat them 42-6. to six. And Lanning clearly had a foot on the pedal in this game, going for it on fourth down deep in his own end. Very obviously, they wanted to send a message. Now, they could have put it on even more in the second half. They didn't. They called off the dogs, but the message had already been sent. And so good on the Oregon Ducks for doing it. And in the same way I said about Colorado State to Jay Norville. If Dion's going to suck all the oxygen out of the room, you absolutely have a fair shot at trying to get your own breath in there by trying to to leverage the attention that he gets, that he garners. That's totally fair. I think from a Colorado standpoint, Dion is right in some ways, in many ways. And that's probably get get us now because this is the worst that we're going to be. And I tend to believe that in some regards, I say some because I don't think building a college football program is always an upward trajectory that doesn't have dips and downwards and things of this valleys in the middle of that trajectory. The idea that Dion went three and zero, then he lost a big game or a bad game to Oregon, but he's just going to keep stacking wins this year and maybe they will be eight and four. And then next year they'll be 10 and 2, and then the next year they're going to be a national champion. That's not usually the way that it works. But I, I do believe that Dion has done enough already to be the type of program that is very, very attractive to high school players, high school athletes, and high school athletes' families. And that, to me, was the goal this year. The goal was to become interesting enough and credible enough to where the Dion brand was going to start selling itself, and it already has. That job's already done. How many times are they going to be on national TV this year? How many times are they going to be where college game day or the big noon kickoff is going to be? How many features will be done? How many talking points will there be? How many people around mainstream media in the sports world that have no idea about Colorado football will be talking about them or have already talked about them? That job is done. So when I watch this unfold on Saturday, look, I thought Colorado would stay within three touchdowns because I thought Shador Sanders would have himself at least a decent day and that they'd put up their own 21 points and maybe lose – you know, 38 to 21 or something like that, clearly I was wrong. But I thought that kind of in many ways, Oregon did what it needed to do, create the separation to say, look, we're an elite program and we're we're far ahead of that one. And they also have to create their own kind of brand now that they're battling Dion or the rest of the West Coast teams are for those types of recruits and that type of attention. For Colorado, it was a reality check that, as I talked about last week, I don't know if any of their first three weeks were indicative of a great football team. TCU isn't what they were last year. Nebraska is not very good. And you went to double OT against Colorado State. Now, I don't know if this is a great football team, but that to me is really not The goal of this year, the goal of this year for DL was simply notoriety, attention, and stirring recruits to come look at you, and he certainly has done that. For Oregon, it is very hypocritical, let's face it, for Dan Lanning to be like, they're in it for clicks, we're in it for wins, as though there's some type of integrity at Oregon of not being loud and brash and attention-grabbing. I mean, Oregon has been exactly that since Phil Knight decided to spend some money, they put up the billboards of their guys in New York city, where the Heisman trophy is in other places around the country. They, they run Heisman campaigns. They have a million different color combinations for the uniforms. They push the brand, the aesthetic more than any other school in America for attention. I mean, their locker rooms, the sizzle reels, the footage from there. I mean, that, They're constantly doing stuff and have done it for years based on attention. And before the game, Oregon's mascot, Quacky McDuck or whatever, is out there wearing a a primetime jacket, the puffy jacket, and wearing a gold chain and wearing sunglasses and a cowboy hat with a baseball bat. That is clearly signifying we're here for Dion. Is that not attention-grabbing? This is who they are. And the bit here is I don't mind Jay Norville going after Dion. And I don't mind Dan Lanning going after Dion either. But the fact is, this is all kind of, it's all kind of a wrestling show. Because everybody's doing the same exact thing. Looking for attention. Which is how you win in college football. You need the attention to break through to draw the recruits. Now some get the attention through uniforms. Heisman campaigns. Some get it from TikTok videos and social media buzz. Some get it from winning, like Alabama. I don't know if there's one that's better than the other. Old school people would say, well, just win and you'll get enough attention. But Saban still does AFLAC commercials. You think he needs the money? Or do you think he likes his face on TV constantly looking like kind of a funny older guy? So, you know, people are more in tune to maybe trust him with their kids or kids saying, I see that guy on TV all the time or whatever. Like they're all selling, all of them. So Dion's selling in a different way, but they're all selling. And Dan Lanning had to sell his program and did exactly that as well. So I I don't mind any of this, but we need to keep in mind it's all the same gambit. It's all, it's the same thing. Everyone's just trying to draw attention to themselves in, a, in their own way to get recruits, to get donors, that hopefully that means wins because athletes and money equal the wins in college football. So how do you get the athletes and the money? You need attention. Standing by with headlines this morning, here is a kind sir, Andrew Bogish. And it should be noted also just as a, a PS on that postscript. Oregon's really damn good, might win the Pac-12 could win the Pac-12, could find themselves in the college football playoffs. so take them for real For based on what they've done the first month of the season absolutely as well.
6: What's up, folks? Oh, hey, Damon. Good to see you again. Uh, so what did it feel like to lose by 50 yesterday in Miami? Here's Broncos' old lineman Garrett Bowles.
4: Huh. It's uh, tired of losing, man. Uh, I've been here for seven years, and all I've done is lost. And it's frustrating.
6: Mm. He said the S word. Yeah,
0: um, I, I like the uh, the particularly enjoyed the part of his response where he went, beep. <laughs>
6: <Yeah>. <laughs> he said the S word. Can't be on the radio, Pat. Sorry.
0: What are you talking about?
6: <laughs> where do we begin? A 70 <laughs> 20 final yesterday for the Dolphins over Bulls and his Broncos, the fourth team ever to get to 70, and I believe the first team ever with five rushing scores and five passing tutties in the same game. Yeah, oh, baby. God. Let's on, go, no. oh, Let's
0: boy. go, bugs. We also have the Texans rolling through Jacksonville.
3: 30... Is Tuddy an alpha term?
0: Big time. Okay. Tuddies, the... Tuds. Ooh, tuds. tuds. Tuds is good. Wow. Okay. I, I don't know how you make something worse than it already was. <laughs>
6: <laughs> uh, the Texans beat up the Jaguars 37-17. The Browns crushed the Titans 27-3. The Bills hammered the Commanders 37-3. And the Chiefs shame the Bears 41-10. But somehow that wasn't the worst thing to happen to to Chicago this week. Head coach Matt Eberflus. You know,
4: I just talked to the players in there uh, in the locker room and talked to them about uh, the ability to uh, focus and the ability to fight You know, for, for each other. And we got to keep this thing tight in our locker room. Um, that's the most important thing. There's going to be a lot of outside noise, um, as there always is in the NFL. Guys, get
6: ready for this. Noon Central on Sunday, Bears and Broncos in Chicago.
3: Oh, no. (laughs) Now, with the Cardinals winning yesterday, who do you think is going to get Caleb Williams now? I mean, it doesn't look like the Cardinals are the worst team in football. Not nearly, considering they nearly beat the Giants as well.
6: Right. Um, I mean, the Bears Broncos? are terrible. The Broncos are going to win a game somewhere because of Sean Payton and and Russell Wilson. The Bears are falling apart. I don't where do,
0: where do they win? Who do they beat?
3: Yeah, I'd have to look at their schedule, but you're right. Is it the Jets though? Are the Jets staring Caleb Williams in the face? No. I think
0: the Jets already ha- Well, unless they trade up, just off of record alone, they already got the one win. Their defense is too good. But
3: how many more wins could they get? I mean, they lucked into They'll
0: week
1: one. They'll beat the Broncos.
0: Well
6: right, and they're gonna get more wins than the than the Bears. That's the problem. Like they're they're gonna win a couple more games. I don't think the Bears can win three times.
3: Minnesota's 0 3. Carolina's 0 3. They don't Carolina feel as bad. Is, they don't, very bad. I don't they're not picking another
0: quarterback though.
3: Yeah. And the Vikings don't feel nearly as hapless as the Bears. So you're right. It's probably Bears Broncos as a race to the first overall pick.
6: It's too bad that Kirk Cousins financially doesn't fit here in New York. Could you imagine the the Jets trading for him, DA, and putting him under center here in New York the rest of the season? I
3: mean, the season is over right now as it's presently constituted if Zach Wilson's the guy. It just is so clearly over. So the Jets have to do something and why not swing for the fences like that and bring in Kirk Cousins? Because at least it gives your your season some juice. It is dead. It's over. The Jets are a three-win team with Zach Wilson back there. The Raiders came Wait, up. Wait, also, Boog,
0: sorry. Here, How about this? Here you go. Game of the year, Christmas Eve, 425 on Fox Bears versus Cardinals.
3: Look, the Cardinals might not be trash. Right. They might not be
6: the way I mean, they're playing they're not going to be in that game not going to decide anything for them. Hell, they they're should near, have beaten the Giants. Right. They're
3: nearly 2 and 1 with Josh Dobbs. <laughs> it's unbelievable. They had a chance to win all 3 games.
6: And it, it is remarkable. Right. They were they could be 3 and 0. They were winning in Washington, were they not? They, yes. were they were winning in Washington.
3: Third or fourth quarter. And, and up, up 27 7. on the Giants. That's right. Yeah,
6: with, a message,
0: with a message before the season that told everybody, we want to lose every game. <laughs> Unless Colt McCoy's that bad, and that's why
6: he's not a Jet either. Maybe they knew what they were doing. Maybe oh. they were improving with Josh Dobbs. Interesting theory. Not downgrading.
3: How humiliating is this that Colt McCoy was so bad, they said Josh Dobbs gives us a better chance to win, and they were right. <laughs> and, and Josh Dobbs has looked pretty damn good. <laughs> not bad. I mean, serviceable. Certainly, Zach Wilson's way worse of a quarterback than Josh Dobbs is. And
6: <laughs> Josh Dobbs got there on August twenty fifth.
3: And Josh Dobbs cost like, you know, twenty five grand. <sighs> <laughs> the
6: Raiders came up short at home to the Steelers, twenty three eighteen, on Sunday Night Football. Jimmy Garoppolo picked off three times, sacked four, was being evaluated post game for a concussion. It's unclear when he might have gotten hurt, but there was a heavy hit from T.J. Watt just before halftime. Meanwhile. just getting such a
3: Garoppolo game, wasn't it, where there's like one or two throws. You're like, oh, you know, okay, all right. right." And then he throws three into double coverage, including the one that ices the game. You're like, oh, yeah, right, that's Jimmy G.
6: And a lot of Melissa Stark and NBC telling us how how much he loves Vegas, fitting in here, his family flew in for the game last night, and he has that dud as well. Uh, We're just getting details, by the way, the Steeler flight home from Vegas, an emergency landing in Kansas City around 4 a.m. local time. Everybody's fine. They'll get to Pittsburgh another way later this morning. Apparently, there was an oil pressure issue in one of the engines leading to the forced landing. Saints QB Derek Carr reportedly has a sprained AC joint. He left in the third quarter at Lambeau with his Saints leading 17-0, The Packers won 18-17. The Cowboys, that we just discussed, took their first loss, 28-16 in Arizona. The Falcons took theirs in Detroit, 26, and the Ravens got theirs at home from the Colts, 22-19 in overtime. Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Ohio State, and FSU, the top five in the new AP College football poll. Plus number seven, Washington. All got first place votes this week. Six schools the most since the 2016 preseason poll. Notre Dame drops from 9th to 11th for air quotes, losing to the Buckeyes <laughs> on Saturday night. Yeah,
0: not a good poll. I don't, I don't like that poll. <laughs> the LA Dodgers
6: still surging towards the postseason.
3: The 0-1 from Duval, Line drive, right field. The Dodgers walk it off. Chris Taylor is the hero. The Dodgers win their 96th. It's their seventh walk off of the year. They're a season high 37 games over 500. They beat the Giants three to two in 10. That's
6: Charlie Steiner on Dodgers Radio. The Giants, meanwhile, all but eliminated from the wild card chase. Five games behind the Cubs as the final week of the regular season begins. The Rangers completed their three-game sweep of the Mariners 9-8 while the Astros were losing again at home to the Royals 3-1. So Texas now leads Houston by two and a half games atop the AL West. Seattle's a half game behind the Strews for the last wild card spot and the WNBA best of 5 semifinals began yesterday with the Aces downing the Wings 97-83 and the Sun winning at the Liberty 78-63 and now boys we get stunned. Woo-hoo!
0: doesn't take much to surprise this bouncing baby boy.
6: This is honestly the most stunned I have
0: ever been on the show to a news. The DA Show is stunned to a news.
6: This one came in from multiple listeners, so thanks to those for sharing. Um, Gil and Warren Press were flying from Paris to Singapore back in June. That's a 13-hour flight. They settle in, ready to go. And the person that sits down next to them has his bulldog with him. And that dog, you know, coming on the heels of that story from, was it last week or the week before with a couple uh, getting naughty in the bathroom, we switch now to a dog for 13 hours between Paris and Singapore farting. And it's so bad that this couple actually moves out of their fancy seats, goes back to economy to get a break from the farting dog. But their complaints continue and Singapore Airlines actually refunded $1,400 for their tickets, which they're donating now to a guide guide dog organization in New Zealand where they're from. But because of this dog and its flatulence, they (laughs) flew for free from Paris to Singapore.
3: Yeah, okay, but they were in premier class. They sit down there like, wait a second, there's a dog. And the wife says to the husband, you got to get this sorted out because we're not spending 13 hours on a flight next to a bulldog. So he goes to the flight attendants, they go, there's no more space. We can only put you back in the economy cabin. They're like, "Uh, no thanks, we'll try to ride this thing out. They try to ride it out and this dog won't stop snorting and farting the entire flight. To the point where they're like, this is, we can't do it anymore. We're choking to death. So they finally take the two seats all the way back in the economy. All right. They do this for like probably eight hours of the 13 or something. Eight hours in economy. After the flight, they're like, yeah, sorry. I was a service dog. They're like, yeah, but we had to sit in economy for eight hours. You have to refund us. Singapore Airlines comes back and says, okay, here's a travel voucher for the two of you. 73 bucks. (laughs) They're like, no. So they went back and forth. Singapore airlines came back. All right. 118 bucks. They're like, no. Finally, they said, look, we paid more than a thousand dollars for these seats. We sat in economy because the dog was farting on us. Finally, Singapore airlines gave them the full refund, which came out to $1,400, which they're now donating. The best part is this quote at the end of the story where the wife says, I think you have to fight for what you think is right. I will now stand up if I don't think it's correct in any part of life. In this case, what she fought for was a refund because a bulldog was farting on her for 14 hours. <laughs> Good. Good for them. That
0: dog was on something. <laughs> you got to fight for your right to not get farted on by a dog. Da, 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 da. that would be
3: devastating would it not to know you've got a 13 hour flight and you sit next to a farting bulldog and uh,
0: I don't know about you guys I've smelled some bad dog farts oh ruthless like I mean I feel like most of them are bad uh but yeah like if you're getting bad bulldog farts and it's just straight broccoli or Brussels sprouts <laughs> in a closed cabin oh <laughs> I would have asked for 14,000, oh, not 1400 oh. for pain and suffering.
3: It is devastating. But
0: Who we... let the gas out? Hoo, 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 hoo,
6: hoo. In general though, we got to figure this out because my wife is super allergic to dogs. So I'm very sensitive to that side of this. I also understand that people need dogs. Those dogs, service dogs are not part of this conversation and they think this is an emotional support dog. Uh-huh. I don't think that's ever confirmed. <laughs> so I've got sympathy for that as well. But yeah. I think you should safely buy any plane ticket that's right. assuming you're not going to sit next to a dog. That's exactly And right. if you have a dog that can't fly or can't travel, you know, otherwise, otherwise, then you don't go on a plane because I can't move my seat. If that dog sat down next to my wife, my wife would be in fairly significant, like, Medical trouble for 13 hours
0: going to Singapore. How is that okay? Well, I think you probably mentioned that before the flight begins, but how? You say, hey, my wife has a very bad allergic allergy to dogs. Like, can we please rectify this? But
3: service animals and emotional support animals have to have a separate part of the plane. They have to build a whole cabin, but they've gotta have like a real corner spot. And you can't sell, like, the seat next to him or something like that. Right. Because if you have a farting bulldog for 13 hours, you're screwing somebody. Right. It's not a person. It's an animal. Here
0: we go, brownies. (laughs) Here we (laughs) go.
3: (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) What a day. What a day day around here.
6: You're even dying
3: in that chair. What a day around here. Mac and Bear is in Delaware, and he's on the on the phone right now. Mac and Bear, good morning.
4: How are you? Good, bud. How you doing? Hey, uh, I uh, I don't know if I get top the Spartan Bulldogs. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs>
4: yeah, who cares? Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to thank you for uh, kind of words, you, and Mr. Bogus just kind of words on those uh those pictures I sent you. Oh yeah, and, absolutely,
3: uh, dude. Congratulations. For those that don't I, know, McIntyre you know, Delaware's son got married recently.
4: Yeah, and uh, you know, I really appreciate it. I just wanted to say yesterday's interview with Larry Zarka, you know, I had I had to call in and give you credit. Big props for that because Larry Zarka is my man, though. Yeah, I mean he I I you know, I love Larry Zarka. I mean, it's like when I was growing up, that was I was a dude. Everybody wanted to be like uh Franco Harris, and a couple other dudes, I always wanted to be like Larry Zonk. Yeah, He was yeah. bulldog. Love it. Um, I also wanted to say that, um, you know, I was listening to the interview with Dennis Dodd, and he's right. Ryan Day is on the hot seat because, you know, uh, Ohio State is not – I'm not really high on them this year. I like them, but I'm not really high on them. They struggle against Indiana. Yeah, they beat, you know, Western Kentucky you know, really bad or whatever. But the thing about it is that this team is, hasn't been right for the last two years because of their loss to Michigan. He wasn't prepared. He, for two years, he was not prepared to play Michigan, and Michigan has owned them for the last two years. And I think that, you know, if he doesn't get it done this year, he might be uh, looking for a job. I think so.
3: That's interesting, uh, Mac Bear. You know. Yeah, appreciate the phone call, brother, and thanks for the kind words and the Zonka interview on Sunday Morning Football. I really enjoyed that as well because you're right, Zonk, just a total icon, living legend. Loved having him on the show. When day exploded after that game about what Lou Holtz said, you could just see he was wearing this internal pressure about the Michigan losses and that you know he had inherited a powerhouse and now they had been passed by Michigan and he was reminded of it a million times over and they – You know, some didn't pick them to win this game. And, you know, he's wearing all of that. And they, look, they get lucky. They get lucky that Notre Dame had 10 men on the field in the last possession. They get lucky that a lot of those calls went against Notre Dame in the game. And for now, the pressure is relieved a little bit. But you're right. I mean, if if he gets whacked again by Michigan, it's going to be tough for Ohio State fans, no matter what the rest of the season looks like to keep bringing it back. When we come back on the show, how can the Jets stick with Zach Wilson after yet another stinker? DA, CBS Sports Radio. Stream the NFL on Westwood One for free. Sponsored by AutoZone all season long. You can listen to every Westwood One broadcast of the NFL live on the NFL app by asking Alexa to open Westwood One Sports. Or on the Odyssey app, get in the zone AutoZone. AutoZone's free battery testing and charging available for free at your local AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone restrictions apply. Thanks so much for being with us, everybody. DA here on CBS Sports Radio. And I just don't know how much longer you can pretend that Zach Wilson is a solution. It doesn't even need to be a good solution, just a solution. Because yesterday, how much did that look exactly like Zach Wilson last week or Zach Wilson on Monday night when Rodgers got injured or Zach Wilson last year or Zach Wilson his rookie season? It's the same exact performance every single Sunday. Zach takes a snap on an obvious passing down because they're scared to throw it too many times. They try to run the football in first and second down, bringing up a third and long drops back to pass immediately feels pressure. Even if there's nothing there gets happy feet gets impatient, doesn't go through progressions. And then as the finally the pocket breaks down, flings one five yards over the head of the receiver. I swear. That must happen 12 times a game. Every game. It feels like every time he drops back to pass, that's what happens. Happy feet, scared already and skittish, doesn't go through proper progressions because he has no confidence, and then just flings it somewhere, usually out of bounds, sometimes to the other team. How many times can you do this? And for Jets fans... You know, they've been manipulated into thinking this was going to be something. Super Bowl dreams. The defense itself was calling it another 85 Bears. And then Rodgers goes down, and we're going to back Zach. Zach can get us to the playoffs. We're happy with Zach. And what's it led to? A hopelessness yet again. I don't care who it is. It cannot be Zach Wilson. The season is
5: over if Zach is under center.